Greetings, you're listening to podcast number 115 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, a really big change of pace. You'll be treated to not one subject in depth, or even two topics with extended segments. No, today I have five quick blasts for you in the areas of foreign policy, taxation, regulation of business, and health care. Let's get right into it. Sometimes you don't need long permutations, combinations, curly cues of an issue. You just need a solid fact or two to whack a right winger upside the head. Intellectually, not physically, of course. To get their attention and maybe knock some sense into them. Penetrate that thick wall of denial and unreality that so many right wingers have surrounding their brains. Sometimes less is more. This'll be like a short, intense five-round fight. In one corner, progressive truth. In the other corner, right-wing distortions, half-truths, and outright lies you currently hear bandied about on the corporate media. Are you ready to rumble? Round one, right-wing lies about why we went to war in Iraq. Listen to George W. Bush recently speaking to the press while abroad. The larger point is, and the fundamental question is, does Saddam Hussein have a weapons program? And the answer is absolutely. And we gave him a chance to allow the inspectors in, and he wouldn't let them in. And therefore, after a reasonable request, we decided to remove him from power along with other nations so as to make sure he was not a threat to the United States. You hear what he's trying to do? Bush is obviously hoping to bamboozle the public again to minimize the negative effect of the Iraq war on the Republican Party's chances in the 08 election. He wants you to now believe that it wasn't an unnecessary war, a war of choice, a war for oil. Saddam wouldn't let the inspectors in. We had no choice but to start a war. This is a morally obscene rewrite of history. Just a blatant lie. I seem to remember seeing these headlines back in March 2003. USA Today. U.S. advises weapons inspectors to leave Iraq. CBC. Journalists inspectors told to leave Baghdad. PBS. UN Secretary General orders inspectors staff to leave Iraq. The BBC. UN orders out inspectors. Hmm, I guess my memory serves me correctly. The inspectors were in there. And why were they ordered out? Because Bush said we're about to start bombing. We can't wait for the inspectors to finish their job. We have to start our war right now. Bush is either a blatant liar or irrefutably too mentally incompetent to be president. Unable to even remember the most basic facts about his going to war. Extra credit. A right-winger may argue, well, the inspectors were in there, but Saddam wasn't letting them do their job, and that's why we went to war. Bill O'Reilly has been pushing this falsehood. Just remember this. If Jacques Chirac had stepped up and looked Saddam in the eye and said, either let those UN inspectors do their job unfettered or I'm going with the USA and Britain, Saddam would have blinked. Wouldn't have been an Iraq war. This Iraq war is on Chirac. It's on right on his head. That's where it is. 
Again, a total right-wing fabrication. From USA Today, March 8, 2003. UN weapons inspectors cast doubts on U.S. assertions about Iraq's weapons programs, saying Baghdad is cooperating with inspections. From CNN. Iraq is making a serious effort to quantify biological and chemical weapons destroyed in 1991. The Guardian told you back then that Hans Blix, the chief UN weapons inspector, described Iraqi cooperation as active or even proactive. And as far as the search for nuclear weapons or a nuclear weapons program in Iraq in March of 2003, the head of that operation, Mohammed el-Baradai, said that Iraq was forthcoming in its cooperation. This was reported worldwide by CNN. Remember, right-wingers at the time argued Saddam had to not be cooperating because the inspectors weren't able to find any WMD. Of course, the reason they couldn't find any WMD was that there weren't any. Unless you're part of Sean Hannity world, Hannity claims Saddam had WMD but that the weapons were sent by truck to Syria. Yup. Hopefully the American public has a better memory than George W. Bush and Bill O'Reilly think they do. The right-wing lie machine is staggering. <coughs> Round 2. The Republican claim that Democrats don't support the troops and that the military is behind President Bush. How many times have you already heard during this campaign that Democrats don't support our troops, they don't support the military, that if you want to support the troops, you have to vote Republican? And you've probably also seen Republicans ranting and raving about how the military community is gung-ho and proud of the mission and want the troops to stay and finish the job, and they support President Bush and his Iraq war decisions. All wrong! A recent Los Angeles Times Bloomberg poll found that, quote, Families with ties to the military, long a reliable source of support for wartime presidents, disapprove of President Bush and his handling of the war in Iraq, with a majority concluding the invasion was not worth it. The views of the military community, which includes active duty service members, veterans, and their family members, mirror those of the overall adult population, a sign that the strong military endorsement that the administration often pointed to has dwindled in the war's fifth year. Close quote. For example, listen to this survey question. Should the United States withdraw troops from Iraq right away? Or should the U.S. begin bringing home troops within the next year? Or should troops stay in Iraq for as long as it takes to win the war? A whopping 69% of households with military in Iraq or veterans chose get out now or within a year. Nearly 7 in 10. That's even a few points higher than the U.S. population in general. How does that grab you? Military families also don't like the way Bush is treating the military. The poll asked, Do you approve of the way George W. Bush is handling the needs of active duty troops, military families, and veterans? So how did that great support our troops president fare? Among households with active military or vets, Bush got a big thumbs down, 53 to 35 percent. Finally, you may be encouraged to hear that quote, disapproval of Bush appears to have transferred to his party, Republican leanings of military families that began with the Vietnam War, 
when Democratic protests seem to be aimed at the troops as much as the fighting, have shifted, the poll results show. When military families were asked which party could be trusted to do a better job of handling issues related to them, respondents divided almost evenly. 39% said Democrats and 35% chose Republicans. The general population feels similarly. 39% for Democrats and 31% for Republicans. The Democrats are not seen as the anti-soldier group anymore, said Charles C. Moscos, a military sociologist at Northwestern University. Close quote. Not a pretty picture for the right. If it would make you feel good inside to needle your friendly local right-winger, to hit him with a few sharp left jabs, just tell him about these poll results. Round 3. Another campaign lie. Democrats want to raise your taxes. Here are some excerpts from a recent ramp by Sean Hannity. One of the amazing things about this is if you're a Democrat, you have to sell because all the Democratic candidates, they, you're selling the idea that our taxes are too low and the Bush tax cuts are going to go away. Democrats, they don't, they don't want to renew the tax cuts. Sean, push it. hang on a second. Okay. So you want to raise taxes. I think the average American wakes up, hits themselves in the head and says, I'm not paying enough. I need to give more to Uncle Sam. Notice how Hannity invokes the average American. How much does the average American make a year? The median income, the amount that half of Americans earn more than and half earn less than, was about $48,000 in 2006, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So Hannity seems to be telling people making $48,000, Democrats want to raise your taxes. There's one problem with this. It's a lie. Maybe not quite as wacky an assertion as that Saddam ground UPSed his WMD to Syria by truck, but still a lie. What Hannity surely must, or should know, is that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama have both made proposals that clearly would rescind Bush's tax cuts only for those making more than $250,000 a year. $250,000. Utilizing my powerful deductive reasoning ability, I therefore conclude that those making $48,000 a year would not have their taxes raised. Indeed, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, only 2% of Americans make more than a quarter million dollars a year. That means, Sean, in case this arithmetic is too hard for you, that the 98% of Americans who make less than $250,000 a year will not have their taxes raised by the Democrats. Maybe Sean Hannity, who earns 10 times that amount, maybe 20 times, 30, 40 times that amount, I don't know how stratospheric his salary has gone, maybe Sean Hannity thinks that $250,000 a year is chump change, something the average American makes. In any event, Hannity is either a blatant liar or he and his staff are so incompetent that they don't know where $250,000 a year falls on the U.S. income scale. Extra credit, the estate tax. Hannity and the right-wing legions call it the death tax, by implication saying everyone pays it when they die. Republican presidential candidates are proclaiming to their audiences, we must repeal the death tax. Their audiences cheer. But again, the estate tax presently only applies to estates of over $2 million. Guess how many of us that affects? I've seen numbers from one-third of 1% to 2% of Americans having to pay any estate tax. Whatever the figure, 
at least 98% of Americans never pay it. So you see, when right-wingers campaign to repeal the estate tax, it has nothing to do with the average citizen. It's another tax cut, a massive one, for the super wealthy. A hard left hook of truth to the right-wing jaw of deception. Up next, rounds four and five. Will the right-wing survive the fight? Stay tuned. Blast the right. The right. Blast the right. The right. Your one-minute voting report. Thanks for the continued flow of five-star reviews in iTunes. If you haven't yet posted a five-star review for Blast the Right through the iTunes software, please do so. It helps counter the right-wing sabotage one-star reviews. And the increased visibility for Blast the Right helps spread the progressive word. Over at Podcast Alley, we're hanging in there at number nine. Keep us in the top ten. Vote for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com. Thanks. Round 4. Nonsensical right-wing policy position. There's too much government regulation of business. Yes, there was too much government regulation on that toothpaste containing antifreeze that came in from China, or on the millions of toys contaminated with poisonous lead paint, or on the grout sealant not from China, but that after killing Americans was still on the shelves. Right-wingers contend that businesses will regulate themselves adequately because it's in the best interest of the businesses to protect their customers. I guess that right-wing theory just didn't work in the examples I just cited, which we discussed in recent podcasts. That right-wing theory apparently also doesn't work in the pharmaceutical area. I've recently come across a couple of stories about this. Would it surprise you to hear that drug companies have been withholding studies that would adversely impact sales of their products? I didn't think so. Drug giants Merck and Schering Plow will probably earn $5 billion this year from sales of Zetia. Is that how you say it? The anti-cholesterol drug. Apparently not wanting to jeopardize any part of the huge profits involved, these two companies decided not to publish several studies that raised questions about Zetia's risk to the liver. As the New York Times reported, quote, Doctors say that by failing to disclose promptly all their research, Merck and Sherry Blau may be leaving the public with a misleadingly favorable view of Zetia's safety and benefits. The companies were really sneaky. They published short-term studies where the patients took the drug for 12 weeks. Oh, no liver damage there. But the companies somehow chose not to publish the studies where the period of time was at least one year, so that long-term damage, if any, could be adequately measured. Come on, Mr. or Ms. Right-Winger, under your theory, shouldn't the kind, benevolent pharmaceutical giants have published all relevant studies? After all, they want to protect their customers. It took pressure from Congress and prominent cardiologists to force Burke and Schering Plow to release an earlier Zetia study they had withheld. Now as well, only outside monitoring and pressure can ensure these companies act with the public safety foremost in mind.
It's worth noting that in some of those evil nations with universal health coverage like Australia and Canada, the warnings about Zetia have been much more thorough. The health of the public is the prime concern in the healthcare picture there. Zetia isn't the only example. In another recent story, the New York Times told you that, quote, the makers of antidepressants like Prozac and Paxil never published the results of about a third of the drug trials that they conducted to win government approval, misleading doctors and consumers about the drug's true effectiveness, a new analysis has found. Close quote. Beyond Zetia, Prozac, and Paxil even, this behavior is an industry pattern. Quote, Previous research had found a similar bias towards reporting positive results for a variety of medications. While 94% of the positive studies found their way into print, just 14% of those with disappointing or uncertain results did. Close quote. On this entire regulation of business issue, right-wingers would have you believe that, in the past, industries were pumping out only wonderful safe products and were beautifully self-regulating, and then the terrible liberals came along and imposed incompetent, destructive government regulation upon these innocent companies. The truth, as with virtually all things right-wingers say, is the exact opposite. Federal regulatory agencies arose because unsafe products were being sold and industry was decidedly not adequately self-regulating. The public demanded protection. The government created such protection in the form of regulatory agencies. And, until human nature changes and businessmen act with only the public safety in mind, federal regulatory agencies are a critically necessary part of a 21st century economy. Dare any right-winger to claim otherwise. Round 5. Another nonsensical right-wing policy claim. We already have the best healthcare system in the world. If you're going to talk about reforming the U.S. healthcare system, you'll never get to a proper solution if you don't recognize the nature of the problem. And right-wingers don't recognize the nature of the problem. They'll literally tell you that we have the best healthcare system in the world, that it's mostly functioning just fine, thank you. Well, just in the past couple of weeks, I came across all the following factual examples belying that right-wing claim in the New York Times, MSNBC, and on the website of the American Cancer Society. To start off with, our near-elderly without medical coverage suffer from much greater ill health than those with insurance, according to researchers at Harvard Medical School. Once these near-elderly without insurance become elderly, that is, they qualify for Medicare, the disparities are sharply reduced. That's because, once on Medicare, quote, they benefited greatly from medical management of blood pressure, cholesterol and glucose levels, and quicker access to effective treatments and prescription drugs. Can't get that kind of treatment in an emergency room, George. I mean, people have access to health care in America. After all, just go to an emergency room. Medicare, you might mention to any right-winger you're discussing this with, is universal health care of the single-payer variety. Next, the American Cancer Society found that those who don't have adequate health insurance have worse outcomes with cancer than those with proper coverage. Quote, the uninsured were less likely to receive recommended cancer screening tests and more likely to have their cancers diagnosed at a later stage when they are less curable. 
they had lower survival rates than those with private insurance for several cancers for which there are screening tests and effective treatments, including breast and colorectal cancer. Close quote. This is one reason why the American Cancer Society is making a major effort to, quote, make the issue of access to health care a state and national priority. Yet another study determined that the effectiveness of U.S. emergency rooms has deteriorated for everyone, even for those with health insurance, because waiting times to see a doctor have increased. This even applies to heart attack patients. Quote, the culprit? The lack of universal health care, uninsured patients, and those who have no primary care doctor flock to emergency rooms for routine coverage, clogging the system. Meanwhile, hospitals lose so much money dispensing charity care through emergency rooms that many collapse into bankruptcy or give up emergency care. Close quote. Lastly, each year we have over a hundred thousand dead Americans because of the right wing's historical vehement opposition, going back to the days of Harry S. Truman, to universal health care coverage in our country. A study from a London medical school ranked nations on their effectiveness in preventing deaths from treatable conditions through timely and effective health care. The U.S. ranked last, last among 19 industrialized nations. France was the best nation in this regard in saving the lives of its citizens when they become ill. We lost as well to, among others, Japan, Australia, Canada, Norway, Germany, Britain, Ireland, and Portugal. You would see 101,000 Americans saved every year. Each of them would live, not die, if our performance was on par with the better nations. Doesn't that make you angry? How about outraged? Worse, we've actually dropped in the rankings since 1997. Unfortunately, we're doing worse and worse compared to the rest of the world. As an officer of the Commonwealth Fund, which backed the comparative study, put it, it's startling to see the U.S. falling even farther behind on this crucial indicator of health system performance. Other countries are reducing these preventable deaths more rapidly, yet spending far less. Talk about right-wing policies increasing human misery, suffering, pain, and death, while costing more to boot as huge profits continue to flow into insurance and other health industry corporate coffers. But, as always, the right wing is still in denial and offering health care solutions that'll do virtually nothing to fix the situation, like Bush's health care plan, which would have at most covered one out of ten Americans without health care insurance. It's not let them eat cake here, rather, it's let them go to the emergency room. Okay, to close, a post-fight analysis of the battle you just heard. Round one goes to the progressive side. The inspectors were in Iraq and Saddam was cooperating. There was no need to go to war. Round two, to the progressive side. Military families now oppose Bush's Iraq war policies and want us out within a year. Round three to the progressive side. Democrats want to raise taxes only on the richest 2% of Americans not the average American. Round four, again to the progressive side. There is under, not over-regulation of U.S. industries as companies allow unsafe products to market and withhold important studies on the effectiveness and safety of drugs. And your final round five, 
to the progressive side as well. Not only is the U.S. healthcare system not the best in the world, by some measures it's the worst among industrialized nations. Top to bottom reform is needed. So there you have it. A five to zip shutout decision for us progressives. The right wing hasn't been knocked out yet, but it's coming I tell you it's coming. Fight the round around you want to, but do go out and enter the fray participate in the struggle, engage the right wing in moral combat. You'll feel better you did, I promise you. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. There's a one-click link to do each of those from the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Also, if you haven't done so yet, it's a one-time thing. Post a five-star review for Blast the Right in the iTunes Music Store. A special shout-out to all you live 365 and 365 Red Dragon listeners. Great to have you on board. Why don't you consider coming over to the podcast homepage, subscribing for free, and then you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. Thanks for help with this week's podcast goes to Neats, Scott from YourAverageIdiot.com, Kit from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and Ellen in Kansas City. Music credits. The break music was The Schnee Speaks by Cagey House, combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music, and Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside. We'll close with a bit of a new song on Blast the Right, One Big Union by Matthew Grimm and the Red Smear. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on the Music Resources page. Links to all the data and statistics I use can be found on my Data Resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Thanks to Tom Hartman, radio talk show host extraordinaire, for the clip of Bush lying about the Iraq inspectors. I love getting your comments, so continue to write to me. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. I'll issue my usual statement. I'm catching up on the email, but haven't done completely so yet. You can also call and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. When the nickel-